listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, I want to invite you to the book of Romans. We are beginning a series today and all across our campuses. I really battled with this, like, Clint and I talked, it's like, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to talk about on the fifth anniversary? And man, we thought through it, and I'm so glad that we are going to be where we are today, because I need you to know, as I mentioned earlier, I've got all these kind of emotions and feelings going on. I'm excited and I'm thankful, but on the other hand, I am completely scared and I'm very, very cautious, because the reason is, is because I know this about myself. There is this darkness and this evil that I wrestle with. And it is moments like this that I can sense that evil and danger the most. And it's because of how much I love the praise and the glory of people. Because selfishly, I want this church to be the biggest church in town. I want everybody talking about us. I want them seeing us as an example, noticing all the things that we are doing. And deep down, I want... I like to emphasize what I'm doing and what this church has been doing. So this morning, I need you to hear me say this very clearly. If all I ever do and all we ever do as a church is pat ourselves on the back and all we ever talk about is what we are doing for God, I will have failed you as a leader and this church will accomplish absolutely nothing of value. And it's because I love the praise of other people. Because if all we do is emphasize how much we are doing for God, I need you to know it is an absolute heresy. Because when we exalt all of our efforts and we boast about our accomplishments, it's an insult to grace and it robs the only one that glory belongs to. And so this morning, I want us to celebrate. I want us to remember. I want us to think about all the the things that have happened. But through it all, that we would not focus on how much we have done for God, but instead, what He has done for us. And that's exactly what we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I almost, I mean, you can't plan stuff like this. And so what I want to do, I want to invite you there to that book. And uh, we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we will walk through them. So church, would you stand with me once again for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. From the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, this morning we come before you and We do want to celebrate and we do want to remember. 
But Father, would we not turn this to us? Lord, it is only through your sovereign grace and mercy that we are even here today. As much as we thought we were planning and doing, Lord, you were way ahead of us. Lord, I pray that we would always remember that, that we are the ones that are following. That we'd never be to the right or to the left, but we'd be in the center of your will, individually and collectively as this church. And so, Lord, as we go to your scriptures today, we do not pray as a transition. We pray because we desperately need you. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see truth and ears to hear it, eyes to see it, and hearts to believe it. The Lord, you would open up the truth of the scriptures this morning and that you would lead us. The Lord, would you bless the teaching and the preaching of your word this morning. It's in Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You may have a seat. So look with me back in Romans chapter 1. We're going to walk through these seven verses, and Paul is kind of interesting. He is going to write, in the first seven verses are one long run-on sentence. So all the teachers out there, Paul might not pass your class. But he begins by letting you know, first and foremost, who is writing this letter. And he says, Paul, and here's what we have to understand, is that Paul is this man that is born in Tarsus. Spends his life in Jerusalem, and he grows up under the shadows of this magnificent temple that stood for everything holy and righteous among God's people. He was well-educated, full of zeal, respected by so many and even feared, and he got to study under the famous Rabbi Gamal. He was even a son of the covenant, which means he grew up and he was a true Israelite. He studied the law of Moses and he devoted himself to fulfilling it to the letter of the law. He continued to study and one day he was crowned a Pharisee. He was so dedicated, he was focused, he was passionate about all of this. And I want you to know he was passionate about something good that he was pursuing And he was willing to do anything, to destroy anything that posed a threat to what he was after. And so this is why he became one that was feared by almost every Christian. And the question is always, well, why would Paul do this? Why is he living with such passion and zeal? And you'll see that it's actually a very good thing that he's searching for. Because Paul is working and striving. He's wanting more than anything to be like that temple. He wants to be sacred and strong and undefiled. He wants to be a worthy vessel of the righteousness of God. He is searching an incredible thing. But the irony is this. The righteousness that he wanted more than anything could never be found in the traditions of the Pharisee. It could only be found in the faith of the very people he was trying to destroy. So what happens is instead of stamping out Christianity, he goes on this tireless journey as an apostle. He travels over 20,000 miles from Jerusalem to Rome and back over three different missionary journeys over a 15-year period. In fact, when most people are probably looking to retire and kind of settle down and take it easy, Paul sets his sights on a frontier that the gospel has not yet reached. And that was Spain. So he writes this letter. He's sitting in Corinth. 
He's got two guys there with him as he's giving this letter as it's being recorded because he wants it to go to the churches of Rome. He's never been there. He hasn't been able to visit. So he's preparing them through this letter for his visit. So he introduces himself in three very interesting phrases. Look at the first one. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's actually a pretty polite term. Really, he says, I am a slave. And this would have been very shocking to these uh, people, his first readers of this book, for Paul to come out and announce himself as a slave to someone else. This was nothing to brag about. It was nothing that you would put out in front as a title that you owned. But Paul wants them to know that he belongs to someone else and that he is committed to Christ without any reservations. In fact, he's living to serve Christ and Christ alone because Paul wants them to know the most important thing about me is not who I am. The most important thing about me is whose I am. And then he says, I'm called to be an apostle. So not only am I someone that belongs to Jesus Christ without reservations, he says, the most important thing about me is not what I have done, but what's been done to me. He says, I was called. This was not something that Paul set out to do. It was not something that he wanted to accomplish. This was not Paul's idea or his life dream. This is not what he was being trained to do. In fact, his plans were completely interrupted on the road to Damascus. When God sought him out and God called him to be an apostle. And what you're going to see in a little bit is an apostle is kind of a unique term. It's, it's a term that we don't have today. If someone calls himself an apostle, I totally disagree, and I'll show you why in just a minute. But it, Paul is saying, this was God's doing in my life. This it wasn't me doing it. It was God acting on my behalf. And then he says, set apart. Set apart for the gospel of God. And he is speaking to God's absolute control of things. We call it his sovereignty. In fact, Galatians 1.15, Paul takes it even a step further. He says, but when he, when he, God called me and set me apart for the gospel, it was before I was born who called me by his grace. This means that Paul, before he was bought to be a slave, before he was called on the road to Damascus, before he was even born, God set him apart for this calling. Meaning God didn't look around and have this plan and go, you know, I need some apostles. Man, who out there might be a good kind of fit for this? Paul's saying that God chose me. He selected me. He set me apart from my mother's womb. So after his introduction, he's going to have to lay the foundation. We're going to see in several weeks, over the next several weeks, that there's a lot of dysfunction among these house churches in Rome. And he needs them to know that even though there's a lot of things we're disagreeing about, there's a lot of differences we have, there's one thing that we have to be united on. And he's going to lay out the foundation for the gospel in four major truths. So he says, the gospel of God at the end of verse 1. And then he goes on to say, which he promised beforehand through the prophets. And Paul's main idea is this. He needs them to know this is not a new message. 
This is not some latest fad where somebody has written some book and speaking on some circuit that everybody's going to jump on board on. It's going to change everyone's lives only to see the message, the book, and the person fade into the background. He says the gospel was God's plan that he promised years ago through the prophets. He also wants them to know that this message, because it was promised, is absolutely trustworthy. And he'll drive that home in just a moment. The second truth that they need to know, we need to know about the gospel is this. He says, concerning his son. So not only is it not a new message, it is not some novelty or even some good advice to follow. The gospel is about a person. It is about the risen Jesus Christ. And then he says, descended from David. And we go, why in the world would Paul choose this to be a foundational truth of the gospel? Well, I think he goes back to God's faithfulness. Because if God is going to be absolute trustworthy, if you've ever had problems trusting God, this should be of great comfort. Because not only does God promise the ends, he promises the means. And if God makes a promise and he doesn't fulfill that promise in the way that he says, then he can't be trusted. So he promises all through the Old Testament. You can go to Jeremiah 23, Isaiah 11. He talks about the Messiah must come from the line of David. So the first thing is, I think he's putting his name on the line saying, not only am I going to promise to send a Messiah, I'm going to promise where he's going to come from. He's going to come straight from David. But the other side of it, he's painting a picture of a man that is coming, is going to lay down his life, but he is going to return as a reigning king. And he goes on, the last foundational truth, he says, by his resurrection from the dead, by the power of the Spirit, he's talking about when this happens, it's beginning a new era of God's redemption. So he's stressing that the gospel is not just about a person. It's about the very Son of God himself. And he wants his readers to know it is the one who is alive. That Jesus Christ is the only person in all of history that has ever claimed to be God. And there have been many to make that claim, even in my time. But he's the only one that's ever claimed to be God that is not sitting, waiting in some grave for the resurrection and the day of judgment. He wants him to know that the one he is following is not some dead king, that he is one that is actually alive today. And he goes on to say this resurrection, it is also validating, it is affirming the claims of who Jesus claimed to be. So he says the gospel, first of all, it's not a new message, but it's a testimony that was claimed long ago by the prophets, and this message can be trusted He said, it's not a system, it's not some latest philosophy, it's about a person. He's going to come from the line of David, and one day he will reign supremely. And he says, it's all made possible by the resurrection of the one that laid down his life. So Paul is trying to unite these churches, these believers, around the foundation of the gospel. Before he can ever go on, he knows this must be the thing that unites all. All of us. And then he goes on to verses 5 through 7. Notice in verse 5, 
He says, through whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, the promised one, the one from the line of David, the resurrected one, we have received grace and apostleship. And so he's taking this word grace and he's describing it two different ways. And Paul had to lay the foundation before he could ever go to this word grace. But it's the word that you see all throughout Paul's writing. In fact, the word grace is used 155 times in the New Testament. 65% of those are Paul himself. And of the hundred times he's going to use the word grace, a quarter of those, over 25%, are in the book of Romans. So for us to understand this book, we must understand this word. But don't check out them, because I know what happens. We hear a word, and we've talked about it a lot, and we think, okay, I get it. I understand. Can we please move on to something more helpful? Okay, but hold on, because Paul is writing this, and he's saying, listen, the heart of this book and the heart of the gospel and the heart of God is grace, and we can never move beyond it, because if we do, we lose everything. We have to stop and think about, well, then what is the biblical reality? What does Scripture truly say about grace? So look back at verse 1 and follow the trail with me. First of all, Paul introduces himself as a servant or a slave, called to be an apostle, consecrated or set apart. Then he says in verse 2 through 4, he talks about what the gospel is. It was planned beforehand. It was about God's Son. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the arrival of the Messiah, the Son of David, and it's about the risen Jesus Christ. It's only after all that he can finally talk about grace. Because he's saying grace is this reality that, first of all, it comes from God through Jesus Christ to work in his people. And he's saying it is something that we have no right or claim to. So then what is this reality that comes from God through Jesus Christ and then it works in us? Well, he's going to describe it two different ways. He describes it by grace and apostleship. And so what he's doing, he's using grace to kind of describe grace. And I know that seems kind of odd, but what he's trying to do, he's trying to describe what is totally encompassing God's complete, total, redemptive plan that goes from eternity past to create a unique group of people that will gather at the end of the ages around the throne room when Jesus Christ finally rips the hell between heaven and earth and we see him in all his righteousness. He says, that's grace. And then he says, apostleship. And what's interesting now is he's going to get really up close and personal. Because not only does Paul realize that God's entire plan of redemption is based on grace, he says even his purpose and his calling are about grace. So he says, grace isn't only just saving me from my sins. He says, it is also God calling me and then enabling me to fulfill this calling. He says, grace is Christ working in me and through me. And it's the word apostleship. So first of all, I want to kind of stop here for a moment to kind of talk about maybe, then how is this relevant for us today, even sitting here on the fifth anniversary? I think with salvation or grace for grace, we, 
we can probably easily or most likely understand that. We would all probably agree, if you were saved by grace, you would say, it is not something I've earned. I could never do enough good to ever even warrant God to ever save me. But then he uses the word apostleship. And I think what happens is, but we often don't look at this form of grace in our lives. And what Paul is doing, he's his calling as an apostle, the one that he received direct revelation from the risen Jesus Christ, and that's what an apostle was. It had to be somebody that heard from the risen Jesus Christ to receive their calling. Peter, James, John, and even Paul. But that's not my calling, and it's not yours. So I want you to do something with me. I want you to take verse 5. Where it begins, it says, through Jesus Christ, I have received grace and calling as blank. Think about the callings that God has placed on your life. It might read something like this. Through Christ, I have received grace and calling as a teacher. Through Christ, I have received grace and calling as a student or a business person, a medical provider, a financial advisor, an oil-filled worker. Through Christ, I have received grace and calling as a parent, a husband, a wife, of singleness, of widowhood, a caregiver, and even a pastor. All of these and many, many more are the callings, and even the callings themselves are things that we do not deserve. But then grace goes even beyond just the calling. The calling is not just grace, it's even the ability to fulfill the callings. That that's even grace. Meaning, if you or I are ever to accomplish even the slightest form of good in our personal lives, in our homes, in our communities, in this church, if we are ever able to do even an ounce of anything goodness, it is only by God's enabling us to do that. And even that we don't deserve. So he says, not only does grace call us, it enables us to fulfill those callings. And the truth is, there is not a role in our lives that we can live the way God wants us to live them apart from his enabling grace. Meaning, being a godly and we fill in the blank, it's impossible without the power of grace behind it. Because it's not what we are doing for God. It's what He is and has done for us. And I think when we begin to understand grace this way, we begin to see God differently. We see ourselves differently, and we even see each other differently. In fact, when you view, see grace in this point of view, I want to point out one last thing that Paul does. Look at what he says there towards the very beginning, and think about this. Why would Paul, being willing to sacrifice and give up so much, I mean, he gives up wealth and comfort and prestige and friends and safety. And it's in the middle of verse 5. He says, I'm doing all of this not for my sake or not for my glory. I'm doing it all for the sake of his name. Paul's saying, the only way I'm doing this is because I'm not in this for myself. Because if I was in this for myself, I would have given up long ago. But Paul says, I'm in this for someone greater than me. 
In fact, he goes on to say, I wanted that name to be taken to all the nations. And so this week, I want us to think about a few things. First of all, I want you to think about the salvation, the grace for grace that we have in and through Jesus Christ. Because I think this is what happens. I think we see it in Paul. When you truly taste grace, there isn't anything else in the world that will completely satisfy you. The second thing, I mean, think of the careers that God has called you to. Think of the, the roles as parents and marriages and friendships, and that we would look at them differently. That every job or relationship or responsibility we have was planned by God before the foundations of the world. Before we were ever born, God was planning for me and you to be where we are today, tomorrow, and even a year later. And third, that it is by God's grace and His grace alone that can ever enable us to live out the callings that He has placed in our lives. And that He will be there with absolutely everything that we need in all of those roles. Because there isn't a role that we could ever set out to accomplish anything worthy apart from His enabling grace. But then the last thing, because I know, man, life gets hard and life gets messy. And there's the time when your children are disobedient and your spouse is difficult to love and life is falling apart and work is demanding and it's hard to serve other people. That we... How can we teach this truth for ourselves where Paul says, but for the sake of Christ. That all of the things, even when it gets hard, because that is when I know I want to give up and I want to go do something and I want to seek my own glory, that we would stop and say, but for the sake of Jesus Christ. So on this fifth anniversary, man, we're going to have a great afternoon I want to leave us with this thought. It's thinking about why does God set things up this way? Why does God leave all of salvation and all of our callings and even the ability to fulfill that? Why does he anchor it and make it all dependent upon grace? And I think the reason is, think about it, if we could save ourselves, if we could plan out our lives, and I know we try to do that, if we could live out our callings in our own strength and own power, then we're the ones that get the pat on the back. We're the ones that get the glory. But if our salvation and if our calling and our obedience and all of those things are by grace, then He's the one that gets the glory. In fact, the only way for you and I to get the strength and ability and help that we need, the only way that happens is if God gets the glory. And we don't get to have it both ways. We either get the glory and no help, or we can get the, get the grace and He gets the glory. So remember this phrase this week. We get the grace and God gets the glory. Because that is the only way that this life works. And I pray even on this special fifth year anniversary that we will see ourselves and where we are, and even this church this way, that this church was placed here by God's grace, and if it is ever able to accomplish anything, it's not on me, it's not on you, it's only by God's enabling grace that we get the grace 
and he gets the glory. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.